0: Welcome to Leadership Matters, a podcast hosted by the University of Georgia's J.W. Fanning Institute for Leadership Development and the Small Business Development Center, units of public service and outreach. The state of Georgia has faced its fair share of challenges over the years. Natural disasters, economic downturns, even other threats to our public health and safety. the last time a pandemic impacted Georgia, like what we're seeing today, was over 100 years ago with the Spanish flu of 1918. Nothing could have prepared us, our families, our businesses, our communities, for all the challenges we've encountered with the COVID pandemic. We've all had to adjust to the challenges it has presented, like wearing face coverings and implementing social distancing. And without a doubt, our leaders have been presented with challenges they've never experienced before as we've worked to get back to business as usual. I'm your host, Matt Bishop, Director of the Fanning Institute.
1: And I'm Rob Martin, Area Director in Albany, Georgia, of the UGA Small Business Development Center, or SBDC, as you may hear us referenced.
0: Rob, thanks for joining me today. For our first episode of Leadership Matters, we're talking business recovery and community resilience. We'll do this by exploring the challenges faced by both public and private sector leadership while rebounding and rebuilding in the places we call home. Rob, why don't you introduce our panel of guests joining us today?
1: Thanks, Matt. I'm excited to share our audio roundtable of community leaders representing different parts of our state, which in this episode includes Albany, Macon, and Columbus. With us, are Ashley Goss, Director of Marketing for Stripling's General Store, and the third generation to operate her family's business with multiple locations across South Georgia. Gerald Mitchell, the newly named President and CEO of the Columbus Chamber and former Vice President of Economic Development for the Atlanta Beltline Inc. And Bethany Rogers, Director of Business and Real Estate Development with Newtown Macon, the nonprofit agency dedicated to attracting leveraging and investing in the self-sustaining transformation of downtown Macon.
0: It's great to have you all here with us to discuss each of your community's unique challenges and responses in the wake of COVID-19 and hear from your leadership perspective on community resiliency and economic recovery. Let's jump right in and let's start our conversation talking about Southwest Georgia. One of the first parts of our state to be hit hard by the pandemic. Rob, You know better than anyone, as the director of the Albany SBDC, Southwest Georgia is no stranger to disaster, especially natural disasters.
1: It's so true, Matt. Between devastating rounds of storms which produced deadly tornadoes and massive destruction in 2017, Southwest Georgia could write the playbook on natural disaster recovery. In addition to rebuilding after some of the worst storms in our state's history, when it came to COVID-19, Here in Albany, we had one of the first known instances of a super spreader event in the country. At one point, Darty County had the fourth highest infection rate in the world. So Matt, I'm going to start us off by addressing straight to Southwest Georgia and our guest Ashley Goss, who I've had the pleasure of working with at the SBDC. And Ashley, I also want to say that well before I started working with you as a client, I've been a big fan of Stripling Sausage. Growing up, I always looked forward to Saturday mornings and my dad asking if I wanted to ride with him to go get some Stripling sausage. We were both early risers, so we'd get up before my mom and sister and we'd ride over to the original location of Stripling's and get a link or two and then drive back home and cook breakfast for the family. Those are some great memories for me. So Ashley, how has responding to COVID-19 been different in Southwest Georgia than the devastation that we faced from the tornadoes of 2017?
2: Hi Rob, the tornadoes of 2017 provided us with a lot of infrastructure issues. We were without power for a good two weeks with two locations completely shut down. Um, We did experience quite a bit of product loss as well as sales and even employee wage loss, but we were able to recoup most of that through insurance. So there was a very cut and dry way of dealing with the situation. COVID-19 on the other hand has been completely unprecedented As owners of our company, we were very fearful of our employees' safety. We were overwhelmed by the idea that our company could be shut down and for how long and what did that look like and what did that mean for our business. We stayed in touch with and closely monitored information coming from both local and state officials. We were quickly deemed an essential business and that was very fortunate for us. We were um, not required to close our doors, and we never had to lay anyone off as a result of that. We did work very closely with local health officials as well to take measures in all of our locations to, you know, provide safe um, a safe environment for our employees as well as a safe environment for the customers that were shopping there. A lot of reinsurance on our behalf towards our employees and customers so that they felt safe, you know, at all times during the workday. We also began having to really communicate a lot of that was done through social media though, as far as inventory control and where a product was coming from and when that product would be there. We're all very accustomed to temporary shortages. We see that a lot with hurricanes and tornadoes. You know, there'll be a shortage of water for a very finite amount of time, but with closures of manufacturers and producers all over the nation, we had just never seen that vastness of shortage before. And so it was very overwhelming. We had to work collectively with a lot of our vendors to provide um, just inventory to all of our stores, our meat markets, as well as our shelves. So we're still struggling at this moment, even to fill some holes that are still on our, you know, in our shelves. We are proud of the work that we did. We're proud of that communication to our customers. We immediately saw an increase in traffic in our locations because we were making those efforts to communicate to customers. We also had to shift our business for more high-risk individuals. We offered curbside service, as well as increased our online sales capability. We also really had to focus on our employees. We had to make it an environment that they wanted to come to. We had to reward them. We wanted them to know that we recognized their strength during this difficult time, that we also, you know, we knew they were scared. We knew that they needed that reassurance from us, and they also knew they had an important job to do and an important service to provide to the community. And so for all of that, we're very thankful, but it it was very different than the tornado situation.
0: Well, thank you, Ashley. That you certainly talk about some unique challenges that you all experienced at Striplands in Southwest Georgia. Let's bring in another community into the discussion and move up the state to central Georgia. Newtown Macon is a nonprofit organization and nonprofits are. Always among the first expected to respond to critical situations. For Newtown's mission and values, this is specifically geared towards assisting businesses and economic development. In fact, we at the Fanning Institute work with Newtown to develop the curriculum for their Entrepreneurs Academy. There's a leadership training component for the course. And Bethany just wondered how did the leadership of Newtown Making spring into action to help making Georgia?
3: So the biggest program that we implemented in the wake of the shutdowns um, and when the pandemic initially set in, in in the spring was a program that got funded by the uh, United Way, United Way of Central Georgia and the Central Georgia Community Foundation. And we named it the Recovery Coaching Program. And it consisted of weekly video calls, uh, small group trainings, and even one-on-one coaching sessions that people could sign up for with new town staff. And the fundamental, the core piece of that program was walking not only uh, business owners, but also nonprofit directors through the programs that were available from the CARES Act, the Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Act that got passed in March. So there were a series of programs, loan programs, unemployment programs, um, you know, some tax deduction programs and so on that were accessible to our small business owners and our nonprofits. And we wanted them to know what was available to them and talk with them about the application process. As I know Rob knows very firsthand, this was particularly challenging because there would never been a disaster that involved every single small business and every single community across the country. They're always localized, regional, like the tornadoes in Southern Georgia. So the system was entirely overwhelmed. Our state unemployment offices were extremely overwhelmed, just unprecedented numbers of inquiries, applications. The system initially was changing all the time. So our value add during this time was to get as much information as we could from the SBDC and the SBA. Any of our business owners who had any kind of success or communication, we took that information and on weekly phone calls, we explained to them what we knew and any kind of milepost in these application processes that would help them know that they were on the right path and hopefully any kind of mistakes they might make that would slow their process down that we could advise them of that in advance. So just those small little bits of guiding information, as well as making the whole process a little more digestible and accessible to folks, as well as just some encouragement, was so critical during that time because all of the business owners were so anxious and overwhelmed. We did also offer some programs just related to best business management practices and crises, everything from cash flow planning to building online stores and so on. The folks who took us up on that programming during those times when they were shut down or business was slower, we can see today that they're definitely rebounding more effectively. Of course, everything is still uncertain, but they've been able to rebound and sustain in ways that are a little bit stronger than some of their peers, some of the folks who didn't participate. But the beautiful thing about that program was thanks to the support of the foundations, we not only got to support Folks in downtown Macon, which is typically our focus, but we worked with business owners and nonprofit directors throughout Macon Bib in middle Georgia. So it was great for us as a team to feel like we could offer the help beyond just our typical door, so to speak, during a time that was so trying. And it just gave us a lot of meaning and momentum during an uncertain time, even for ourselves and our own nonprofit.
1: Bethany, that's fantastic, and I know that the SBDC is grateful for relationships with an organization like Newtown Macon, as we were both working around the clock with businesses as they found themselves in such a place of uncertainty and uncharted territory, especially when it came to figuring out disaster loans and government assistance. Uh, the SBDC also had to pivot, and much like you, we were around the clock offering those additional education opportunities and trying to help those small businesses out, so great job and glad to hear that. Bethany, what were some of the concerns that you were hearing from local businesses?
3: Well, I'm going to echo Ashley here. I mean, there were two critical ones, and unfortunately, they almost kind of worked counter to each other. First was simply cash flow and being able to keep doors open. And then the second was safety. What do I need to do to keep my team well and safe so they feel like they can come to work? What do I need to do to keep my loyal customers safe? And unfortunately, sometimes those, those two seem to be counter to one another. And so it was always coaching that dance between the two. What do I need to do to be profitable? And what can I do to bring my customers back? But how can I also do that in a way that I can feel good and ethical and like a, a great community and business leader? But also ultimately, you know, to sustain that customer base that you're going to need Beyond the pandemic, to succeed on the other side of these things. So, those were the two fundamental things that we heard about and trying to work with our business owners to figure out how to make them work together instead of in conflict with one another.
0: Cash flow, keeping the doors open, and the health and safety of your employees and customers. Thank you for that insight, Bethany. I want to turn now to Gerald over in Columbus. Gerald's been on the job for about 60 days now. And uh, what a better time to become a chamber president in the third largest metro area in the state, right, Gerald? (laughs) So you're no stranger to leadership, Gerald. You've been part of regional leadership training efforts. So let's talk about some of the themes that you've been seeing in businesses over in the Columbus area.
4: Yeah, thanks, Matt. And thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share a little bit about Columbus. I will tell you, this has been absolutely an interesting transition. And the good news is that there are things that we've been thinking about as a community for quite some time now that I think position us well as we move forward. But I think the thing that we weren't anticipating was obviously a global pandemic and the stabilization that was going to be required as it relates to supporting our business community. You know, when we think about businesses in general, especially small businesses operating currently at about 60% of the revenue that they're accustomed to, there are lots of challenges that come along with that. So to the point that Bethany just made, we're hearing a lot about uh, operating cash flow. We're hearing a lot about broken supply chains that are just getting back up to speed. We're hearing the same things about safety concerns and how not only can we do the right thing to protect our employees but create a safe environment for customers as well. And in addition to that, if that wasn't enough, some of our employers are also looking at how to get employees to come back to work. I think that's a function of a couple of different things. Uh, Some of it obviously is math and people doing kind of financial analysis of their own. But then the other part of it, I think, is related to the employees or people in the workforce, you know, exploring quality of life and what it means for them and how they want to work now and uh, into the future. And again, those are things that we didn't have to contemplate. But from a Columbus standpoint, the benefit and the thing that really has been helpful to me in making this transition is that there is a plan. And the plan that Columbus is working to execute is a community initiative called Columbus 2025. And the Columbus 2025 initiative really sets out to work through a few different verticals that all really drive toward uh, better outcomes in economic development. Those verticals are vibrant and connected places, as evident by the Dragonfly Trail system or network that we've got here. And it also focuses on art and how we drive or communicate the culture of the Columbus community and region. Outward focuses on an enterprising culture or innovative opportunities as uh, presented or provided through Startup Columbus, uh, where we're working to stand up more entrepreneurs. And by the way, I think that is a key to our partnerships uh, with the more rural areas and how we create growth. And an example of that would be looking at uh, some of our rural partners that are saying they don't have a grocery store or they don't have certain amenities. And the question that we're starting to ask more than we have in the past is, is there anybody that wants to be an entrepreneur? Let's work through resources that can help you set up a market that addresses some of those market gaps. In addition to that, broader economic development and how we approach that, looking at economic development in non-traditional ways, and putting Columbus on the map. All of those things don't work if nobody knows about it. So getting to a point where we're better able to tell our story. Again, those things were in place pre-COVID, and uh, I know that nobody anticipated COVID happening, but it just so happens that this plan, I think, positions us well, as long as we execute, to weather the storm today and beyond.
0: Well, thank you for those comments, Gerald. I do want to recognize and congratulate you. You are in a historic position there in Columbus as the first African-American president and CEO of the Greater Columbus Chamber of Commerce. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Uh, I know you've been in economic development for some time, uh, starting in Savannah and then with the Atlanta Beltline. Just wanted to get a sense from you if, you wanted to comment on any differences that you're seeing with Columbus than you've seen with Savannah and/ or Atlanta <laughs> they're
4: all different and they're all not different. When I was in Savannah, they had this uh, this moniker uh, that people at the uh, at the State House would say uh, the state of Chatham because uh, Savannah had a way of just kind of moving the economy in its own way and In Atlanta, uh, you go to Atlanta and you realize that, you know, Atlanta is there hustling and doing its own thing and creating a vibrant economy in a very different way. It's not related to or rooted in traditional economic development. And in traditional economic development, what you usually see is a pad ready site. You see an incentive package. You go and find a company. You have a marriage and you go on to the next scenario. It's very transactional. But what you see more in Atlanta is a model that I think is certainly reliant upon partnership. I think most communities don't think about developers as a part of the economic development mix, but they absolutely are. No one's going to make a 20 or 50 or $100 million investment and then not help you occupy that space. So as long as the partnerships are strong and appropriate, the development community actually become adjunct economic developers. And then you go back to the scenario in Columbus, where Columbus has been also, you know, labeled with the moniker of the state of Columbus. And it is scrappy in a completely different way, in that when you think about Columbus and you think about its history of innovation and its history of standing up Companies that become behemoths in their own right. There is no other place that I can think of that is this size and punching this far above its weight. The home of RC Cola, the home of Coca Cola, the home of WC Bradley, the company that makes charbroil grills, the home of Synovus, Tesis, which is now Global Payment uh, Systems, and then the juggernaut that is AFLAC is also headquartered here. So again, a community that is doing that, that is not central to, you know, the Atlanta Metro in a way that uh, it benefits from the growth of the Atlanta Metro. It doesn't have the Georgia Ports Authority at the end of I-16, so to speak, but has found a way to curate an activity that just keeps on rolling along. You know, all of those three scenarios are completely different models in economic development, uh, and I think that all of those models can be applied in different places to show how to deliver success.
0: Well, thank you for the insight, Gerald. You're pushing up on this idea of how Savannah, Atlanta, Columbus are the centers of these regions. And so is Macon, Bethany. And uh, I want to turn, though, to Ashley for this question that's about regional leadership development. Bethany and Gerald, you guys are part of of larger regions in our state, and you're in the center of those regions, but I would argue that Moultrie is also the center of a smaller scaled region that is southwest Georgia. Of course, Albany uh, is another part of that region and center, but actually just thinking about how southwest Georgia has come together around initiatives like Locate South Georgia and the LEADS program that they're doing there that involves 23 different counties just wondering if you might provide some comments on you know the value of doing leadership development at the regional level
2: well in a situation like the pandemic it allowed us to compare notes for a lack of better words we were able to network and talk with other industries that were very comparable to ours in this area and share policy and procedures that we were putting in place it allowed us to call on officials for you know help and direction all over this area and this region you know having Albany experience and what they were experiencing and having other communities not reaching that point yet, but looking down the road is that could be potential situation in our own community. What is Albany doing? What is Albany not doing? That sort of thing. It prepared us to make difficult decisions as leaders in each of our own communities and then be able to, you know, accept responsibility for any consequence that may mean just, you know, in a leadership role, it's always hard, but especially during this time, it was difficult. So I think all of us were glad that we had Fanning leadership training under our belt so that we could move forward and that we knew how to address some of these situations.
0: Thank you, Ashley. And Bethany, let me throw that question to you. I know y'all are focused on making, but you guys have also been involved in some regional efforts. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of regional leadership development?
3: Sure. I'd actually love to talk about it in in two ways, if you don't mind, because I'd like to talk a little bit about our experience working with Fanning and with the uh, Entrepreneurs Academy, too, and the leadership component that we incorporated into that. Right now in Macon on on the regional level, and this is a term that's being used nationally now, but we're really thinking about what it means to build an entrepreneurial ecosystem. And... Ultimately, for us in Macon Bib, we have a really high level of poverty. It falls almost directly along race lines. where majority African-American community. This means building a pipeline in a series of resources and services that starts at financial literacy and credit scores and ends with people being able to buy large commercial properties and real estates, and then have property and wealth that they can pass on to generations. And this means having partners in all aspects of of finance and entrepreneurism so that we can provide folks the resources and access they need to be successful as individuals, but ultimately, right, to provide pathways to wealth building, generational wealth, and improving the quality of life. And we know that that means way more than just revitalizing our central business district. And that means way more than having one community development financial institution, which we're aspiring to be, because we need all kinds of ways that people can get access to financing, to support entrepreneurism, to support buying homes, buying cars, and and investing in real estate and other kinds of assets. So we're really trying to bring more people to the table in this work that we're doing. So not just cross-race, but cross-sector and cross-class so that we can think about what it means to build that complete pipeline, kind of from cradle to grave, right? But in this case, we think about money and wealth building. So that's the regional piece there. I just want to give a shout out to the leadership development piece as it relates to entrepreneurism because... When we first started, um, Gerald, you mentioned bringing in real estate developers and the important role they can play in economic development. And Newtown Macon really latched on to that realization early in our work. And it's actually where I think the major pivot and the visible success of Newtown Macon's work happened when we started group training, helping people understand the process of investing in, in commercial real estate and becoming lenders. So we serve as secondary lenders. We come in behind the bank to make the equity that's required of a developer much less and to reduce that barrier of entry, so to speak. We did that and we started having such success on the real estate side, we realized we needed to do it on the small business side. We did not have the bandwidth at Newtown to create a curriculum And to just get better at the business coaching piece. And so we turned to Fanning Institute. So we got paired up with Rich McCline. Unfortunately, Rich has since retired, but amazing business professor and Brandy Walker, who's still with Fanning and she's a pedagogy and curriculum expert. And that was a really powerful dynamic duo to have that curriculum pedagogy person with the business piece. But in addition to that, they forced us to include a leadership development piece. And I say that because really we we get so focused in finance on the bottom line and like, do the numbers work, do the numbers work, that we really kind of let go of that personal development and that leadership development piece. But they insisted that that be part of the curriculum and we're like, we're so ready to work with you, however you wanna do it, you know, we're, we're happy to include that in the curriculum. And it was amazing how responsive our participants in the program were to the pieces that were focused on the person versus the process of drafting the plan and the projections. And I'd say that in particular, the things around establishing your core values, managing stress, really understanding sustainability and aspiring for the triple bottom line. I think that the way that the folks who are already in business, how much that resonated with them made me realize just how much that this was not only important, but they needed to be able to share this and get this from other people and know that they needed it for themselves. And now when I watch these folks, my, my graduates from Entrepreneurs Academy, when they've navigated this pandemic, it's been Great to see, because it's been twofold. On the one hand, they've been able to be responsive and creative to the market needs, the changing market needs, but they've also stayed the course with their core values and stayed focused because it's so easy when everything's so overwhelming to lose sight on what makes you special, who your customer is and the role you're playing and why you're in it for yourself. And so that leadership piece, as it comes into entrepreneurism, really came into full play for us as we've watched and coached on the sidelines during this pandemic in Newtown.
0: Well, thank you, Bethany. That's, that's the whole notion that leadership is resiliency. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you pointing that out with the Entrepreneur Academy there at Newtown. I'm gonna ask a more general question now of the panel, and, and Rob, please jump in here too. We've seen that leadership matters particularly with the pandemic. We've also seen how communities and regions that invest in leadership development and pay attention to the notion of building leadership pipelines means that their impact and their outcomes are better. Communities with strong leadership development efforts are also the ones where businesses and families are moving to. But with respect to that, Gerald, Where does leadership matter most? Matt, that's a fantastic question, and I I don't think there's one place. I
4: think right now we don't have the luxury of saying that leadership in one area or one vertical over others matters. Right now, we need it in so many different places. We need it at the neighborhood level, where you've got communities that desperately need economic intervention of some sort, but don't understand how to get there and it's leaders that are going to help the external forces bridge a communications gap with the internal and entrenched interest. It's leadership that is going to be willing to think outside of the box and think about plans like Columbus 2025 that bring people from all walks of life and all walks of the community together and again allow Those people who aren't in our communities that might be a little bit smarter or have access to different resources to come and be a part of that. It's leadership that allows me to extend an olive branch of some sort to communities that are struggling with growth. When I think about some of the rural communities around the Columbus region, the reality is that if we think that we have stagnant or slow growth in Columbus, you can look at one of the outlying counties and multiply that slowness of growth by 20 or 50 times. But again, it's leadership on our end that says, let us work with you, and it's leadership on their end that says, help us, that get us there. So again, I think it's a great question, Matt, but I would also say that I can't uh, think of a single area where it weighs heavier than others. When we think about Columbus and how well we fared uh, over the summer during the really difficult conversations about social justice, that was leadership in you know, both the, the white community and the black community that were able to say, let's find a way to do this and protect our community as well. So again, there's so many, so many verticals where I think leadership matters today. I think it's unfair <laughs> to, uh, to compartmentalize it to just, uh, just one sector.
0: Thank you, Joe. I wanna throw that question to Ashley. For you, Ashley, and just being a small business owner, having to navigate everything that has happened, what's your perspective on leadership and what matters most?
2: Similar to what I answered before, it's really just about being able to reach out to other people as a business owner and ask for help and not be afraid to ask for that help and then have those connections, you know, other people that I can call on and then be able to convey that to our staff and our employees in a way that reassures them that what we're telling them or how we're leading them is the right way being prepared as i said before making those difficult decisions i think that's a lot of leadership especially in a company where we are we have around 100 employees you know we're making a decision day in and day out not just about our own family and our own well-being but the families of all those employees it's difficult at times but i think that a lot of the training that i've had through Fanning and I've um, done a lot of the community leadership, it's prepared me to be able to do those things. So we feel like we were able to move forward and accomplish those goals.
0: Well, certainly the theme that you all are touching on is this idea of resiliency, that leaders yes. through unprecedented challenges like pandemics have to be resilient. Rob, you've been working with small businesses for years, but you know, in particular, I'd like you to you know, comment on what do you see is what matters most with leadership, you know, right now?
1: Well, Matt, if you spend much time with me, you'll probably hear me quote John Maxwell from his book, The 21 Indispensable Qualities of a Leader, everything rises and falls on leadership. So as the leader of a business, of a home, of an organization, your response to everything from a customer complaint to what happened in the pandemic will set the tone for how your employees respond. If you don't focus on customer care guess what neither will your employees if you have a negative mindset about the future of your business well that too is contagious so as the leader you have to be willing to listen to both your employees and your customers and if there's a need for a pivot you've got to be the one that's paying attention to what's going on the trends the market and be willing to make that pivot to address what you do Ashley mentioned about even switching to doing some curbside pickups. You know, that's a pivot that a lot of retail, uh, restaurants, many businesses had to make. And it's in a lot of ways what made the difference on whether or not they survived and, and made a profit during this. So it's important. And how you lead your team will have a direct effect on the success of your team and ultimately your business. So I would say, know your mission, believe in your mission, train your employees on how to achieve that mission, and to sum it up, I would say that a leader's got to have that vision, got to be really good at communication and organization, and then finally, have a plan and follow it.
0: That's a great transition, Rob. I want to spend a few minutes now talking about strategic planning. Of course, you know, one of the You know, overarching principles of leadership is that leaders have a vision, as Rob mentioned, but also are able to develop and execute a plan. Certainly over the past few months, those plans have had to be modified and adjusted. So I just want to spend a few minutes uh, this morning with you guys talking about the importance of mission, vision, and strategic plans. To kick that off, Bethany, would you mind starting?
3: I'd be happy to. We've recently, as a team, adopted a program. It's it's based on a best business management practice from the book called Traction, and we've just kind of taken it and made it our own to a certain degree, but we have quarterly meetings, and at those quarterly meetings, we review our mission, the vision, our core values, And then our uh, strategic plans, the objectives of our our five, we have a five-year strategic plan. Well, actually, I can't believe it's already a year away that we'll update our strategic plan. So we revisit all of those together and then collectively we set quarterly goals. This is important one because accountability becomes involved because we state our goals for the group. And then at every weekly staff meeting, we update everyone on the progress of our quarterly goals. But much more importantly than the accountability is the focus and the work that we do collectively in those quarterly meetings to be sure our goals are on task and on brand for Newtown Macon. And I say that because it's especially important, I think, during overwhelming times like pandemics to lose your way. I think, and Gerald I'm sure can attest to this, but when you're in any kind of nonprofit community development work, everybody comes to you to fix everything, whether it has anything at all to do with what your mission is about or not. They're just looking for somebody to help them address a really pressing community need. And of course, we really saw that a lot during the pandemic. And so, yeah, your goals, you do transition right to the particular needs of the time, but they still have to serve the overarching goals. And we really had to work closely with one another the last few rounds of goal setting to be sure that we were doing what we needed to do to address the issues that are um, You know, unique to the pandemic that are unique to some of the, the racial issues and racial reckoning that we're dealing with in 2020 but that still keep us moving toward accomplishing that strategic plan and whether you do this collectively as a group or individually, I think it's so powerful, but to have somebody there with you to make sure you stay on point, I think is a really powerful tool when it comes to executing a plan.
1: Great comment, Bethany. So uh, if I can shift this over to you, Ashley, what about the mission and vision for Striplings? What have y'all done and what have you planned?
2: So I I told Rob previously prior to this discussion this morning that when I saw that was going to be a topic of discussion, it made me cringe just a little bit because our, you know, our company began very simply. We um, just made sausage on our family farm and had just a few employees. So we did not have a a large strategic plan or a, a mission set forth when we first started our company. We just always really strive to provide our customers with consistent quality products and service. And to its core, that is what we did during this pandemic. That's what we continue to do. I think I probably need to spend some time with Rob and maybe pin that out a little bit um, more in detail, because I obviously would help our employees to embrace the expectations and the overall arching vision of our company better if we did have a more encompassing mission. But The simplest part of that, consistent quality products and service, that's what we did from start to finish in this pandemic, and we did that in the work we did with the vendors, the communications we provided to the the customers, and to being able to pivot and offer services to people that we had not recently or before had ever done. So that's why um, our mission and vision and values are always going to be the same.
0: Well, thank you for that response, Ashley. I can tell you as a consumer of your products, you're doing a really good job of fulfilling <laughs> your mission. Gerald, I wanna come back to, to you on this question though about mission, vision, and, and strategic planning. As the president and CEO of a large chamber in our state, you've got to have that mission, vision, and strategic plan. But my question to you though is about stakeholder engagement. Mm -hmm. You know, chambers really do serve as, you know, the catch-all in communities. There aren't, you know, many other institutions or organizations that bring together the entire community. So, could you talk just for a few minutes about the importance of getting the right people at the table and the whole notion of inclusion?
4: i tell you what, it is so, so important, Uh, and thank you for that question. Again, it's another good one. You're on a roll, Matt Bishop. Our mission at the Chamber in Columbus, and I'll, I'll, I'll state it, it's our mission is to promote business success by being the leader in economic and community development for the region. Through my engagement uh, in economic development and through my experience, you know, what I've learned is uh, something that Rob actually alluded to, and it is that the customer is actually who's driving this train. And at the end of the day, that very frequently means communities. It means not necessarily the people that are working for your business. And it means having plans or strategies that include those folks. Through everything that we're seeing this year in this extremely tough time, one of the things that has really, really resonated with me is that companies far and near are pivoting to positions that acknowledge uh, what their customers are trying to tell them. And if we don't develop plans uh, and incorporate positions and strategies into those plans that acknowledge where the customers of the companies we want to retain uh, and recruit are, then we lose. So I'm fortunate you know, in that I have the responsibility for both the Chamber of Commerce and the Economic Development Authority here in Columbus uh, because we've got a strong group of individuals that are community focused, that are willing to jump in and participate, throw their support and their dollars behind things that matter and that move our community forward. And I'm gonna say a a number, and I don't know if, I I wanna make sure that this is right, uh, so forgive me if I'm off a little bit, but in the last 20 years, the Columbus community has raised $100 million through philanthropy and corporate support three times. That's $300 million in the last 20 years that this community has raised to support things like the arts, to support nonprofits, to support infrastructure projects. And again, that sort of thing couldn't be done if we didn't have a cross-section of people at the business level and at the community level uh, supporting what we do.
1: Gerald, that's fantastic. You, You talk about how the communities come together to move forward and how businesses are moving forward and making that pivot, and and that's critical during this time. So uh, that's fantastic. I appreciate that. Ashley, if I could, I want to ask you, how is your business and community moving forward?
2: Our company is moving forward by just continuing to Practice recommendations were set forth to keep our employees and customers safe and reassured. We were very fortunate in the relationships we were able to build with our vendors, and so we are going to continue to strengthen those and provide products to our customers best we can. Community officials are continuing to provide us with support and guidance, and we've seen community members begin to rebuild their businesses, and they're doing that and figuring out how to live safely and effectively moving forward. And i um, It's been tremendous to see the flip side of this. You know, we've all shut down. We've all gone away for a while, but now everybody's coming back, and it's just amazing to see the resilience of everybody in the community.
1: That's great, Ashley, and I I love the way that you're talking about community coming together as well and, and working not only for the good of the community but also for the small businesses and kind of helping guide them through that. So, Bethany, if you could, what would you say is similar or different to what you're seeing happen in Macon?
3: Yeah, I think we're, we're starting to reposition ourselves where we were positioning ourselves before 2020, which was really, I'm going to go back to the racial equity inclusion piece here. We, uh, as a team, have been doing a lot of racial equity training. We have just been designated as an emerging community development financial institution, which means we We'll get support from the United States Treasury, not just to be a lender, but to provide technical assistance to underserved populations so that we can provide more coaching. Um, and in making this is principally for our Black entrepreneurs. We do also work a lot with women entrepreneurs that haven't had as much access to coaching and business financing. And part of what we recognize here Is not only will we have a more vibrant and diverse downtown if we provide more pathways to business financing and real estate financing, but we're just going to be a more successful downtown if all of our community feels welcome and wants to come and shop downtown and support our businesses and then as we increase the foot traffic, all the other things that you like to see in a downtown district to improve economic development and the success of it, like a more hotels and, and more tourists and more day visitors and more of a, a regional market, seeing Macon as a destination. We see that right now, positioning ourselves to really serve all of our community and really empower all of our community to own businesses, to buy real estate, to develop it in downtown Macon. So I, I think we're preparing to double down. And I think that, you'll see that as a really big push for us in 2021.
0: Thank you, Bethany. These have all been great comments and insights from from all of you. The Fanning Institute and the SBDC are here, of course, to help you respond to your community's needs, whether it be technical assistance, training, consulting, strategic planning, anything that your organization needs and that has leadership in place to shift and respond to these historic times. Moments like these that we can't plan for, but where we can be prepared to lead with care in the places we're proud to call home.
1: That's right, Matt. So if I can, one final question for all of you is, what can the SBDC and Fanning do to help support you, your organization, your business, or your community? Bethany, how about if I start with you?
3: one of the ways that we've really been looking to you guys the whole sbdc system and the sba and fanning in the last few months is really around all the coaching work and outreach that you've done and the improvements that you've made in your marketing i think in communications to our small business community and as we think about the kind of work that we want to do with group trainings and, and coaching and what it means to make it more accessible Obviously there's so much potential now and the way these things have become so accessible and folks who have to work full time and can't always come to classes when you have them and so on that, that we can provide new pathways to empower folks but There are also a lot of challenges with this. Like how do you do it effectively and not bore people to death because there's no engagement when you're on the calls or make them accountable. And also how do you cut through the noise because there's so much free stuff. Like I have this long, long list of all these webinars that I want to watch and and I don't get to it. So I really see us needing you guys moving forward to get, better at the coaching piece and figuring out. And I, I, I don't know, I, I feel like you guys might help us be able to think about like some hybrid models and resources where things are more accessible and they're more affordable but they're also effective and engaging and they and they still need us and they come to us and that we can see some of the impacts that like I've seen through the pandemic with our, our group training with the Entrepreneurs Academy. So for me and our work at Newtown, that that's a really key area where I hope we can keep collaborating with you guys and just looking to you and the examples you've been putting forward in that work over the last few months.
1: Absolutely. Well, I, I can speak for Matt and for the SBDC in saying that we do look forward to continuing to work together and partner to do just those things. So thank you, Bethany. That's, that's fantastic. Ashley, how about you? How can the SPDC and fanning help you and your business and community?
2: I echo a lot of what Bethany said. The pivot that you guys have made in your method of continuing education has been tremendous for people that have really found themselves in a very difficult situation in time. Um, I know personally I've attended a lot of seminars, so having access to that virtually now has been very beneficial for all of us. You know, the SBDC provides great encouragement for us, and not only our personal business, but a lot of the community leaders and business owners all around South Georgia. Rob, all over the state, but specifically with Rob around South Georgia. And so um, we're excited about what's to come and the growth and. We feel like SBDC will always be a big part of that.
1: Well, thank you. And I, I appreciate that call out, but it really is a team approach. And that's what everybody in the SBDC and Fannie would tell you is that it's what we do as folks of that wheel that really make that thing successful. So uh, we appreciate that. Certainly Gerald, let me finish with you. How can the SBDC and Fanning help to support you and your organization, your local businesses and the community around Columbus?
4: Yeah, I'll be brief because I uh, certainly agree with what both uh, Bethany and Ashley uh, suggested. I think that what I would add to that is help us develop and identify additional uh, funding tools and mechanisms. Again, that's uh, one of the things that we're hearing more and more from our small businesses. And in addition to that, it's just, again, let's continue to strengthen and grow partnership with you that we all just value so much. Uh, it's a huge part of our success and that's got to get bigger and it's got to get stronger for us to, uh, to grow that. Those are my, my points. And again, Bethany and Ashley did a great job of pointing out other things that I certainly agree with.
0: Strengthening partnerships. That's a great way to come to our conclusion today, Gerald. Well, there you have it for our first episode of Leadership Matters. I want to thank my co-host, Rob Barton, with the University of Georgia Small Business Development Center as well as our guests today, Ashley Goss with Striplings, Bethany Rogers with Newtown Macon, and Gerald Mitchell with the Greater Columbus Chamber of Commerce. Thank you so much for your insights this morning. We're gonna continue to explore Georgia's leadership and business efforts to rebuild, redirect, and refocus our economic and community vitality through this Leadership Matters podcast. I'm Matt Bishop, director of the Fanning Institute, and
1: I'm Rob Martin, the Albany Area Director of the University of Georgia Small Business Development Center. Learn more about the SBDC at Georgia, and you spell that out, G E O R G I A, S B D C, just like Small Business Development Center, dot O R G, as well as the programs and services of the Fanning Institute at fanning.uga.edu.
0: In our next episode of Leadership Matters, I'll be joined again by the SPDC and our roundtable of Georgia leaders from across the state to continue our conversation around business recovery and community resilience, this time through the lens of virtual leadership. You can find this episode and future episodes as well as additional podcasts produced by the J.W. Fanning Institute for Leadership Development on our website or wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search Fanning
1: Institute. Leadership Matters is produced by the University of Georgia's J.W. Fanning Institute for Leadership Development and Small Business Development Center, units of public service and outreach. Learn more at outreach.uga.edu.